Hazel, my new baby, likes to face out. Uh, she likes to see the world. She likes to learn. She likes to see what's going on. She likes people. Sometimes she likes other people more than she likes me. You know, she wants to know what's happening, who's around, and what's uh, what there is to take in. And she's active, and she's interested in all those things. And so usually, usually, when she's upset, the best thing you can do for her is just face her out towards the world and walk around and let her see things. We, uh, Her birth and kind of life so far is kind of interacted, not interacted, is kind of aligned with, with the falling of the leaves off the tree. And so she was born and the leaves started to turn and then they started to fall and then they were all gone. And so we walk around and we talk about the leaves and I'm looking forward to when they come back and she likes to see things. It's the way to usually, usually get her to stop crying. But sometimes because she gets hurt or because she got scared, or because she doesn't know what's going on, or whatever. Sometimes she doesn't like it when I walk with her out. And uh, me, you know, not being Mr. Baby or anything like that, I just do the regular thing, the normal thing. I like my routines. I turn her, I face her out, and she just is wailing and bawling and upset and crying. And, and Bryn will say this, this thing to me, something along the lines of this, Sometimes she just needs to be comforted. Sometimes she just needs to be turned in and, and held close and put close to my heart and, and comforted. And I'm learning to try to identify when those types of things are. And, and here's the reality, I think. All of us sometimes just need to be comforted. And what happens is our life goes on from the time that, you know, we're Hazel's age until the time that we're adults and, and old and all that, uh, is that sometimes we learn to mask or uh, turn away from or pretend that our moments where we need comfort doesn't exist. We learn to kind of toughen up, to just figure things out, to go about our business, to put on a good face, to, to, to deal with things on our own, and uh, and while we learn to deal with it and put on the happy face or find ways to, to maybe comfort ourselves, the reality is somewhere inside of us, and we all know this, you already know it, I don't have to explain this to you, we all sometimes just feel a need to be comforted. But here's what Christianity does. Does And I don't mean like the faith that we actually have, but like Christians and churches, this is what we sometimes do. Uh, we look at people who have a need to be comforted and we act like a new dad. We act like me with Hazel when she just needs to be comforted. We, we kind of spin people around. We say, hey, just look out, learn something new and everything will be okay. You see, we've kind of turned Christianity into an outfacing baby. Like just learn a little bit more. Just focus on God and you'll totally be okay. And we, we have, I think, in, in Christian circles, and I'm part of this problem sometimes, we've made it so that, uh, that comfort is not given very readily and we forget or we act like people don't just sometimes need to be comforted. You know the situations, like, and, and this happens and it's terrible, but like sometimes when you've lost a loved one, like somebody's died that you're close to, sometimes in those moments you just need to be comforted and then the Christian guy comes along and they're like, just he's in a better place. Research heaven, it's great. And you're like, 
I don't care. I don't care. They're not here. Like, that's great in theory and all that, and that's fine, you know, and I'll think about that later in a couple of months, but frankly, I don't care right now. I just need to be comforted. You know, and when we say these cliche things and it's like, just think about this, just focus on that. And it's like, if you're the person in the middle of it, you're like, I just need to be comforted. We do it to people who are addicted, who are really trying to to fix something in their lives, but they just can't seem to break it. And we say, well, just read this book on it and just do this thing and just take these steps and get an accountability partner. And and those are all fine things. But sometimes people who can't break an addiction just need to be comforted. We do it with depression. I mean, we'll give people a bunch of verses. I'm about to preach on depression and, and I hope that I don't do this. But we just give people a bunch of verses and we say, well, there you go. Put on a smile now. Everything's okay. I mean, the church is like the last place you want to be depressed, right? Because you always want to be able to say, hallelujah, Jesus, I'm joyful, and I read those passages. And so we'll pretend to not be depressed, but, but it's, it's not true. We are depressed, and, and people are throwing verses at us and saying, hey, it's okay. You're fine. You're fine. You're going to be in heaven someday. Jesus died for you, and you're like, that's good. That's good. But right now, I just want somebody to comfort me. We do it with the unknown, right? I mean, when you just don't know what's coming next. And I don't mean like, you know, tomorrow and we never know what's going to happen. But I mean like you're just scared about the next step in life. And and we'll say things, you know, we'll rip verses out of context from the Old Testament and say, oh, well, you know... God has a plan for you, and, and, and he's going to guide your steps. And, and you're going, yeah, that's fine, but I'm scared right now. You know, I'm scared. Like, I believe that, but I'm scared. I believe that, but I'm sad. I believe that, but this is not okay. I believe that, but I hurt. I believe that, but I'm broken, you know? I mean, we know what's true sometimes in Christian circles, but, but we just need to be comforted when we're lonely, When we've been slandered, people have said bad stuff about us. They've torn us down. And we're like, yeah, it doesn't matter what they think because it's only about what God thinks. And we believe it. I'm not discrediting any of these things we say to people. They're sometimes true. Uh, but, But sometimes we just need to be comforted when we're feeling hopeless. When we talked about last week, we just feel hopeless. We know we're not hopeless. We're actually hopeful somewhere deep in our souls because we believe in Jesus and we believe that we'll go to heaven and we believe that he'll use all things for our good. But sometimes, sometimes, even though we have some hope deep down in our hearts, the hopelessness is on top and we just need to be comforted. Sometimes when we're just tired, you know, we're just tired and we're just like, ah. Life has been hard for too long, and I've been facing this situation for too long, and I just, I, I'm done with it. That's how we say, I'm just done with this. Sometimes then we just need to be comforted. In our passage today, it's beautiful. It's really a beautiful passage of Scripture because God shows up through this prophet Isaiah, and, and he just says, here's what I want you to tell the people. Be comforted. Be comforted because I am coming. In chapter 38 of Isaiah, uh, there's a guy named Hezekiah who was a great king. A lot of people want to name their kids Hezekiah these days, Christian people, because he was such a great king. Uh, But he makes this mistake near the end of his life. He gets a terminal illness. God heals him. 
his mistake was not getting the terminal illness. Uh, but, he, uh, but he gets a, a terminal illness. God heals him of that terminal illness. And then the Babylonians are like, wow, this is incredible. This guy's been healed. And so they come to see him in Jerusalem, and he does this, this kind of stupid thing. He shows them around like his kingdom, and he shows them all of, all of his stuff and what a great empire he has and all the things that God has done for him. And, and he does it, it seems, just out of kind of pride. Like, look what I've built. Look what's been happening for me. Look at how cool I am And so it's like this setup. We read about this in Isaiah chapter uh, 38 and 39. It's like this setup uh, for what is going to happen in the future, years down the line. And that's that the Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to ransack Jerusalem. And they're going to take a bunch of the best and brightest people and then a bunch of other people who are pretty good, and they're going to leave behind these other people that they don't think has any value or whatever to stick around Jerusalem, and they're going to take them into Babylon, and they're going to bring them into exile. This is the big exile for the Jewish people. And from here to the end, uh, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40 today. From Isaiah 40 to the end of Isaiah, it's all, and this is, this is hard on my mind when I'm studying it, and it's probably hard on your mind if you're reading Isaiah. He's writing to these people in a present tense, but he's writing about things that will happen in the future. And so in our passage, what's happened is that he's showed us this story about Hezekiah. He's kind of set up that the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to, they're going to take over Jerusalem and they're going to take people with them. And then he, and then he writes in chapter 40, this beautiful thing about comfort And about how God is going to comfort us so that years later when the exiles are in Babylon and they're struggling and they're frustrated and they think we're never going to go home and this sucks and why is this still happening and I thought time was going to be up and I thought it would get better by now. When that happens they can look at this passage of scripture and go oh comfort. And so here's the good news I think about that. Some of you this passage you need it in the present tense. You just need to hear Isaiah 40, 1 through 11 this morning and what it has to say to you because you just need to be comforted because you know somebody who died or you're addicted or you're depressed or something is unknown or you've been rejected or you're feeling lonely and and this morning you just showed up on the right Sunday and you need this. But for others, I think it's important because there are times, even if we're not people who typically need to be comforted and I'm one of those people I don't I don't really want your comfort I want to get in a a room alone and kind of learn some more like Hazel and maybe this is where she gets it and just kind of think about things and uh, but sometimes even me you know I just need to be comforted and so for some of you you can read Isaiah like the people who would have read it the first time I'm going to put this in the back of my head even though I've shown up here today and I feel comforted I feel joyful I feel peace I feel hopeful not hopeless I I don't have any major struggles right now in this moment and you can put it out there and say oh yeah Isaiah 40 is there for that moment in the future when life is terrible and I just need to be comforted But no matter how you're reading it this morning, no matter how you're going to think about this sermon in the future or right now, remember this, Isaiah is writing this for a group of people who are struggling, who are broken, 
who have been taken into a land that is not their own and they've, and they've been there and they've been there and they've been there and they feel like it's never going to end and they're never going to have their freedom and it's never gonna be okay and that they're gonna pay for the punishment of their sins forever and ever and ever and it's just terrible and they just need to be comforted. And, and, and here's, here's what Isaiah 41 through two says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, the first thing I want to tell you about this word comfort is it's actually an emotionally sensitive word in Hebrew. And so it's not just, again, and we talked about this last week, some theoretical idea where God is like, tell them to be comforted, you know? Just, just tell them to be comforted. Just be comforted, you know? You know me, I'm all right, I'm God. Be comforted. It's like something that expresses that God is looking down and he's seeing that they need comfort and he emotionally connects to their need for comfort. And so he says through Isaiah about this thing that will happen in the future, look, I want you to speak this to them because because they're hurting and they're broken and, and they don't need a lecture. They, they need my comfort. And, and so comfort, comfort my people. The second thing that you need to know about that word that's really important is that it's a word of covenant. It's a covenant word. The word is connected to the promises that God has made the Israelites for centuries and centuries and centuries, going back all the way to the beginning when a guy named Abraham was made a promise that he would be the father of many nations. And so when God shows up on the scene here and he says, here's the deal, I want you to, to tell my people comfort, comfort, he, he is reminding the people in some ways, look, I want you to be comforted because of the relationship that we already have. I want you to be comforted because we have entered into a covenantial relationship where I am your God, I am your father, and you are my people, you're my holy nation, you're my treasured possession. And I'll just say up front that, that, that now that Jesus has come and died, something we'll talk about in, in more in just a second, now that Jesus has come and died, we all have a right to enter into that type of relationship with God that, that makes it so that God will look down at us in the moments where we need comfort and say, comfort, comfort, I wanna bring you comfort. There's another thing that's important about that word. Uh, it's a word that's stated often in this section of Isaiah, kind of the ending section of Isaiah. And so as we go through and, and we study these last like four or five uh, passages of scripture in Isaiah, it's important for us to remember that, that all of it kind of is wrapped up in our comfort and our hope and our future joy and our future blessing. And, and, and so Isaiah, if you're like me, I don't know if you're like me, and if you've ever read Isaiah, Isaiah is the most confusing book in the whole Bible to me. It's a book that, that sounds really nice at certain points and I wanna tweet some of the things it says, but I'm like clueless as to what the overall point is uh, until recently as I've been studying a little more. Uh, but that's kinda how I read it. But, but just now, if you go and you read Isaiah 40 uh, through, through the end of the book, really, you can remember that in, in large part, it's there to bring you comfort. And then this last part is so important. It's stated twice, comfort, comfort. And it's stated twice for emphasis and to connect it to the double punishment that was brought onto his people. You see, in the book of Exodus, God says, if you do certain things, then you will receive 
a double punishment for your sins. And when the Jews were exiled into Babylon, they deserved it. They did. They had broken the laws of God, the rules of God. They had forsaken God. They had turned their back on God. They had rejected God. They had made other gods. They didn't care much about what God said. And so God brought them this double portion. And here, he says to them twice, comfort, comfort, to say, look, 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 I understand that you've been punished twice, but now I want you to be comforted twice. Now, I love this last part. I love it because because I think we all get this. Some of us this morning have shown up here needing comfort because we've messed up, because we've done something wrong, because we broke a promise or we broke a relationship or we messed up how we were spending our money or we did something stupid or we sinned against God or we rejected God or we were disobedient to God. Some of us have shown up here needing comfort because you were a jerk to your spouse and now they aren't treating you the same or or you weren't very nice to your children and now your relationship is severed and broken. You've shown up here and, and you need comfort because of something you've done. And that's the situation for the Jewish people. But God looks at him and he says, comfort, comfort. I want you to know that despite what you've done and despite the fact that you deserve what you are facing, I still, because of my covenant with you, love you and I understand you and I want to speak comfort into your life because I understand the emotions that you are facing. Comfort, comfort, God says. And he says to Isaiah, and I love this, speak tenderly to them. Isn't that beautiful? Like the God of the universe who created everything. It's this big giant being that we can have no, you know, full understanding of because he's beyond our comprehension in some ways. That God looks at his prophet, his mouthpiece and says, I want you to speak tenderly to my people. And listen to the words. This is what the tender words are. This is the first part of where comfort comes from. He says to her, says to them, your hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. The first part of God's comfort to his people is that their sins have been paid for. For the Jewish people that went into exile, that meant something that wasn't so fun. It meant that they just got sent into exile. They were told what to do. They lost their freedom. They were persecuted. They weren't allowed to do the things that they had once done. They weren't allowed to serve God in the way that they wanted to serve God. I mean, it, for them, it, it meant that they like literally paid for their punishment. But when we flip to the New Testament, we read a story about a guy named Jesus a guy named Jesus who is who is Emmanuel, that is God with us. And the Bible tells us, the New Testament writers tell us that, that God came here in the form of Jesus. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He didn't do one thing that was disobedient to God. He didn't reject God once. He didn't turn his back on God once. He lived a perfect, perfect, sinless life. And at the end of that life, he was tortured, beaten, and then murdered. And he did that to pay for your sins. You see, what I think God would say if he could rewrite this for us who live today, who live after Jesus is, hey, speak tenderly to my people because their sins have been paid for. 
And if you need comfort and you've messed up and you jacked up everything and you know it's your fault and you're the one to blame and you've shown up here this morning saying, I just need comfort because I did something. God is looking down at you today and saying, here's the deal. All you have to do is have faith in what I already did because your sins have been paid for. Sometimes we look at the gospel story, what we call it, the good news of Jesus, and we look at it like some burden. We look at it like I needed to accept this because I really didn't want to go to hell. That's true, but there's another side of that coin. God looks at us and says, if you will accept this, then no matter how many bad things you've done, no matter what you have messed up, no matter how much it's your fault that you need comfort, your sins have been paid for. And I would just say, if you haven't accepted Jesus, if you haven't accepted the, the payment for your sins, then, then it's probably a good thing to do. It is a good thing to do. Why sit and wallow in your own sins knowing, knowing that you have caused your discomfort when you can accept Jesus and find true comfort? Comfort that's described as Isaiah continues, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The time Isaiah is writing, kings would be carried from one city to another. And so there were people that would go ahead of these kings and they would make sure that uh, nobody was going to trip as they were carrying the king. That would be a bad day, right? I mean, that would be terrible. You got the king sprawled out. You're probably dying, you know, because he's going to have you killed or whatever. And so there, this was like a job. You would go uh, in front of the king and you would make sure that boulders were moved off the paths and, and that things were even and level so that nobody, as they're carrying this king around, trips and falls and the king rolls out and it's a bad day. This was their job. And so Isaiah alludes to this, and in doing so, he presents us with one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament that points to Jesus. Because when we get to the New Testament, we know that this prophecy is fulfilled in a guy named John the Baptist, who was probably the cousin of Jesus, who made uh, the way for Jesus. He proclaimed Jesus before Jesus was born. Listen to Matthew 3, 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John 1, 19 through 23. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. You see, what John did is John ushered in the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, the glory of God come to earth. And so what I need to point out as we go through the series and what we're studying is why does it matter? Why does it matter that God came to be with us? Why does it matter that Jesus showed up on the scene? Why is this important for us? It's important because in the coming of Christ, we have the coming of comfort. 
When Jesus showed up on the scene, he showed up in part, not in full, but in part, so that you and I in those moments when we need a comforter could have the ultimate comfort from God. You see, Isaiah looks at these people who would be in exile, and he says, hey, here's the deal. You're hurting, you're broken, you need comfort. Recognize this, someday, someday the way will be cleared, and God will show up in all his wonderful glory and splendor. When Christ came, comfort came with him. And Isaiah continues, a voice cries out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But notice this, but the word of the Lord or the word of God endures forever. You see, flowers are fragile. I was actually listening to NPR just like a week and a half ago. I wasn't even thinking about this sermon at all. And, uh, and apparently there's a major problem with the wildflowers in Israel, in the Jerusalem area. Uh, this is like current news. And that is that they're almost extinct. And they're going extinct because people uh, are picking them so often. And I guess since uh, the Jewish nation was restored after World War II, this has become like a sign and a symbol of the nation of Israel and their freedom because when they uh, were being killed by the Nazis and they would hide in different places, perhaps in different countries, they were not able to go outside and pick flowers. And so when they returned to the Jerusalem area, they saw their beautiful wildflowers and they are very beautiful wildflowers. And they said, well, now we can pick them. And so you do this on people's birthdays. You do this as a sign of freedom. Tourists that show up pick flowers. And now they've had to work to prevent them from going extinct. And while Isaiah wouldn't have known this, he gets right to the point because he says, look, the flowers that you can look out and see, they're always running the, the risk of extinction because they are fragile. You step on a flower, you can kill it. The seasons change, they die. Flowers are something that come and go as quickly as the seasons. And he says, people are like that. And I would like to point out, and I think this is maybe part of what Isaiah is getting to, everything that brings us comfort, except for one thing, are as, as vulnerable as the flowers that we pick off the ground. You see, we have these different things that we think brings us comfort like starbucks tea i actually while i was writing this sermon in front of my computer got an email in my inbox on my phone that said looking for comfort question mark and then it was this picture of starbucks tea this is how starbucks tells me i find comfort and when we think of comfort if you just said what comes to mind when you think of comfort uh, you would probably think something like sitting in front of a fireplace drinking a cup of tea wouldn't you but yet we know that fires go out and tea goes cold and eventually when we're done drinking the tea and sitting in front of the fire, we're gonna go about our lives and we're not gonna have that comfort anymore. It's going to go away. For a lot of people, drugs are their comfort. I believe that nobody, nobody in their right mind goes, man, when I grow up, I wanna be addicted to drugs. 
People become drug addicts because they're trying to escape from their lives, a lot of people. They just want an escape. They want to be comforted. And when they take a drug, when they take a hit, when they shoot up, then all of a sudden they feel a sense of comfort that they don't have when they're not high, when they haven't taken a shot or hit the bottle a little harder. They don't have that comfort anymore. And so they do it again and again and again, always in search of comfort. But every addict knows that the comfort fades as fast as it comes on. And that's why they have to do it over and over and over again. For some people, it's shopping. I happen to be one of these people, actually. This is uh, me. I know that's weird. And, uh, uh, but I find when I'm hurting and I'm broken, that, that and this is Bryn, too. We share this. Uh, we don't have a million things in common. We love Jesus and we love our baby. And after that, it goes downhill in what we have in common. But, uh, uh, but we actually, uh, one of the things we have in common is that when we hurt, we have a tendency to want to go buy something and to eat something. Uh, and, and it's like immediate. And not like binge eating like ice cream, uh, like some people would think of, because that's a big one, right? Like like the stereotype is a woman gets their heart broken and they grab a gallon of ice cream and they start eating it. That's the stereotype. Uh, and, and we have that tendency. We want to go buy something to make ourselves feel better to be comforted and we want to eat something and so those are two things for a lot of people it's like shows and and movies and stuff people try to lose themselves to be comforted by watching somebody else's fictional life that will have a happy ending a lot of people don't like movies that, that I would call good because they have sad endings, because the guy does die of cancer, and because things don't go right, and it ends with just you being sad. But a lot of people just want to be comforted by their movies, and so they're looking for the Hollywood ending where it's like, oh, everything's better, and they walk out with a smile on their face because they're looking to those movies for comfort. A lot of people look for love. A lot of people, it's like, if I can just find the right romantic relationship, he or she will make me feel comforted because I heard in all these other areas of my life. And we know what the guy said to us in Ecclesiastes, and that is all these things, if you're looking for them for comfort, are meaningless. They are a chasing after the wind. In Ecclesiastes 4, 1, the author there says, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. You see, when we try to find comfort in anything, except for that last thing that Isaiah points to, the word of God. When we try to find comfort in anything, we know this. I'm not explaining anything new to you here. We know that eventually it will no longer bring us comfort. It will go away. It will turn into something that that is painful and leads us to need more comfort. It will always, always, always fail us like a flower planted in the ground. Isaiah says all of that will fail you except for one thing. And that one thing is the word of God because it endures forever. Jesus repeats this in Matthew 24, 35. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I wanna say this. First, find comfort in knowing your sins are paid for. Second, find comfort in knowing God's promises to you. God makes these incredible promises in the Bible that we can apply to our lives. He says that that all things will work for our good. He says that there is always a way out of temptation. He says that we will have victory over death. He says that, that we will have provision for all that we need. And he says that he will be with us until the end of the age. And while I don't want to stand on a stage today and be a hypocrite and say, just learn some more. I think it's important to remember that the promises of God are part of the way that God seeks to bring us comfort. Isaiah is looking at these people and saying, you need to know this. 
These promises are as good as gold because they're the promises of God. And if you try to find your comfort in anything else, it will ultimately fail you because those things will ultimately go away. But turn your eyes and your ears to the word of God and you will find, you will find nuggets of comfort that actually matter. You see, when Christians come and they say they're little cliches, sometimes those cliches are good and true, but they hurt us when they're not true. Because sometimes... Sometimes the things that Christians kind of throw out there are just not real. I mean, we have this idea that God never wants us to be sad, you know? God just wants you to be happy. And we just hear that over and over and over again. And when we need comfort, we're like, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not, and it sucks. And I don't. But, but when we know the real promises of God, and when we look at the real promises of God, and we take them in, and we let them become part of our lives, it's part of the way that God comforts us. But this is the best part. This is the best part. This is the part I like the most in Isaiah 40, verses 7 through 10. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Isaiah says, you people who are to present good news, I want you to shout it from the rooftops, from the mountaintops. Now, I'd like to point out that good news is something that always brings comfort, right? I mean, even in the darkest day of your life, if I said, hey, by the way, you won that big Powerball, there'd be just a little bit of comfort, right? You'd be like, oh, grandma died, but I won the Powerball. You know, just a little bit of comfort. Good news always brings comfort. And Isaiah says, hey, comfort, comfort. I want you to know that comfort's coming and I want you who proclaim good news to go up on the mountaintops and I want you to absolutely shout, here's the good news. What is it? Here is your God. He says, I want you to shout the good news, Emmanuel. I want you to shout the good news, God will be with us. You see, the good news for them was God is coming and the good news for us is God has come. And even in your darkest day, even in your darkest day, when you don't feel like you can be comforted at all, you should take hope in the great news that God has come. But why? Why? Why, in the words of John Oswaltz, uh, one guy that, that's a commentator, why in these words, the essence of the message is, look, it's God. Why? Why is that an important message? Look, it's God. Look, God showed up. Look, God came. Isaiah gives us three reasons. The first is the name of God. From here on out in the book of Isaiah, the names of God become really, really important. And here, Isaiah puts two names together to describe God. The first one is sovereign, and it refers to ultimate power. And the second one is God's personal name. Sometimes when we think about comfort, we think about weakness, somebody that will pat us on the back and tell us everything will be okay. But I think we all know somewhere inside of us that real comfort comes from power. Real comfort comes from knowing that somebody else is stronger than you, that somebody else is bigger than you. 
If somebody had a gun pointed at your head, and you could choose two types of comfort. One, your mom patting you on the back saying, it's going to be okay, son. Or two, an army. You pick the army, right? The general shows up, says, son, it's going to be okay. You know, then you go, oh, it might be okay. I mean, things might be okay. Comfort comes, the best comfort. Sometimes you just need a hug. But the, but the best comfort comes from, from a person who is powerful enough to actually speak truth into your life. It's going to be okay. doesn't matter if somebody can't help you. But it's going to be okay does matter if that person can do something about your situation in life. If that person has more knowledge than you. If that person can understand what you are actually going through. A pat on the back is great. But ultimate comfort comes from, from people, from a being, from someone who can walk, who has walked in your shoes and knows how to fix it. And Isaiah reminds us, hey, God is the one comforting you. He has ultimate power and ultimate authority. And not only that, he's given you a personal name so that you can like be his friend and you can have real interaction with him and, and so you can have a real relationship with him. He's not just the all-powerful God. He's the all-powerful God who's offered you through the cross a relationship with him so that you can know he's on your side and that he wants to speak wonderful, sensitive words of comfort to you because of the covenant that he has now made with you. But Isaiah says more. He says his reward is with him. And we immediately think of the reward that we'll get in heaven someday. But think about the rewards that we get even now. I mean, he brings us hope and peace and joy and love and grace and forgiveness from sin. He, he brings life where there was death, as we talked about last week. He brings a root. He brings a shoot. He brings fruit for you. You see, these words that we sing, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom, are true. We gain now because Jesus died for us. And Isaiah says, look, you gain from his reward. You gain knowing that you will have a life of joy and that you will have a future in heaven and that right now in this moment you have eternal life. We talked about that. Eternal life is not something you get when you die. Eternal life is something you have now. And it's a, it's a life that God has provided for you where you can have a different level of joy and a different level of peace and a different level of hope. And while it might sound cliche, sometimes we just need to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. God has said that even despite this, I can have peace that transcends all understanding. Even despite this, somewhere I can find joy. I'm hurting, but somewhere inside of me, I can find joy because Jesus has brought this reward to me. But the, the last part is the best part. This is the part I want you to just take home today. I, I think the whole 10 verses is just incredible. It's an incredible thing to read when you need comfort. But this last part's the best part in my opinion. He comes, Emmanuel comes, he came as the good shepherd. He came to be your shepherd. John 10, 11, and 12 says, this is Jesus talking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flocks and scatters it. In John 10, 14, and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What does the good shepherd do? What does Emmanuel do? He loves you 
tremendously to the point that he's willing to lay down his life for you. But even after, and this is the part that just, it blows my mind. It says that he came to be a shepherd so that he could carry you close to his heart. This is a beautiful picture. Have you ever just been so broken and so hurting that you're wailing? I mean, I used that word earlier, but I mean really. Like you are sobbing uncontrollably. My first time's remembering this in my life. This is not what you're going to see coming. It's, it's baseball. Uh, and I remember as a kid, after every big loss, I, I would just break down and cry. Um, and I remember my dad, on more than one occasion, coming out to center field, and nothing he was going to say would matter to me. Nothing. It wasn't going to matter. Oh, there's another day. Any cliche. Yeah, get him next time. I would have been like, no, don't. Uh, you know, even as a five-year-old, I would have been like, come on. I talked about my competitiveness last week. It's just a game. <laughs> Speak for yourself, father. Um, but he would just grab me, and he would pull me in, in an embrace, and he would hold me right next to his heart. After Bryn's miscarriages, the second one specifically, I remember this moment quite vividly. She was sobbing her eyes out. What am I going to do? Come in there, be like, hey, I have a Bible verse. I mean, hey, here's something to learn. Read this passage. Oh, I saw this great devotional. I walked in there, and she was sitting, and I just grabbed her, and I put my arms around her, and I held her close to my heart. When Roy died, that was when I was sobbing, that was my turn, and uh, we were in the emergency vet, and uh, <laughs> they'd taken Roy away to try to emergency save him, but we knew it wasn't going to happen, and I fell on the ground, and I had a scab on my knee, um, and I'm bleeding now on the floor. Uh, I'm bleeding all over the floor, and I'm bawling my eyes out, and when I got up, Bryn held me close to her heart and when every one of my family members walked in who could understand because they loved him like I loved him and if you're not a dog person you're like why is that guy up there with tears in his eyes but they got it every one of them walked in and they held me as close to their hearts as they could every one of them and what Isaiah says is hey good news good news God's coming Good news for us, God came. And part of the reason that he came is so that he could be your shepherd. So that he could be your shepherd so that when you need comfort, he could just pull you in and hold you close. And I can't give you, and this bothers me in some ways as somebody who preaches, I can't give you some tangible steps when I read this passage. Here's what you do to get pulled into the heart of God. I can just tell you that when you need comfort, if you would just sit alone on a couch for a while and say, God, here's the deal. I'm hurt. I'm broken. I know what I should do. I know what I should have done. I know what should happen. I know the way this should be, but it's not, and I need comfort. Do something about it. I believe with all my heart that if God was willing to step out of heaven and come to this earth, which is full of discomfort, and he was willing to live a life where he probably needed to be comforted more than once. And he was willing to, at the end of that life, be persecuted and tortured and murdered. 
the most uncomforting thing the world has ever known, the worst death the world has ever known, if he was willing to do that for you, then probably in those moments where you're hurting and you're broken and you cry out, hey, good shepherd, Jesus, Emmanuel, I need something, I'll guess he'll find a way. He will find a way to bring you the comfort that you need. When you're facing the death of a loved one, you go, wait, 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 God came to carry me close to his heart. When you're addicted and you're broken and you don't know the way out, just remember that God came to carry you close to his heart. When you're lonely or depressed or scared, remember that God came to carry you close to his heart. If you've been slandered or you're feeling hopeless or you're tired and you just can't go on, you remember that God came so that he could carry you close to his heart. And all you have to do, all you have to do this is not a go, go get him. This is not a go get him sermon. Make some changes. Do something different. This is not that. All you have to do is accept that Jesus died and rose again on the cross for your sins. And then make him your savior and your Lord. And for many, you've already done that. And so you just sit in your moments of despair and you put away all the cliches and you hurt and you be broken and you remember that even if you can't feel it right now, that God is pulling you in and holding you close and looking at you and going, I came, I came and I died and I rose again so that I could hold you right here and just whisper in your ear, it's gonna be okay. I know you can't see how. I know it doesn't seem okay. I know that you're hurting. I know that you're broken, but comfort, comfort, because I am big enough and strong enough and care enough to hold you close to my heart. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. That's what I want today. I want to tenderly, as tenderly as I can say this to end, say to you, that if you will enter into, if you have entered into a relationship with Jesus through his death and resurrection, he will hold you close to his heart. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, in my darkest days, in my darkest, darkest days, you have always brought me comfort. And I want everybody here to know, God, that you will do the same for them if they will let you. I pray, Lord, for those who sit in front of me right now who are hurting, who are struggling, who despite my sermon last week have come here feeling hopeless once again, Lord. And this is my only prayer for this morning. I pray that you will pull them in, that you would embrace them, and that you would hold them close your heart. I'm going to do I'm going to do something different. I'm going to have you put your hand up. If that's you this morning, if you just came here and you're hurting and you're broken and you need Jesus to to pull you in, uh, will you put your hand up so I can kind of pray for you specifically? I won't say your names if I know them. God, and so for those people specifically, um Lord, they're going to leave here and, and Satan will fight against their comfort and he will bring doubt in. God, I just want to pray that they would sense your presence. That they, God, in, their, in the despair and hopelessness and fear and pain, that they, God, would, would sense your presence. 
And maybe even in a physical way, they would feel your arms around them. But at least in a spiritual way, they would know that they are being held tightly in your embrace, Lord. I love you, God, and I pray these things in your name.